WTMJ. Let's get right to it. We start today's show like we start every show. Three big things. Number one, we are becoming a country, a state, an area, a community of weather weenies. Uh, there is no reason at all that MPS is closed. There's no reason at all that the Glendale River Hills School District should be closed. There's no reason at all that Franklin and New Berlin and all these different school districts around this area are closed. Here's the background on this. They have been telling us for the last several days that it was going to snow, right? It snowed. They have been telling us for several days that the snow was going to occur largely overnight. As a matter of fact, by last night, they had even started downgrading the advisory saying, hey, this is going to be over by 9 o'clock in the morning. Now, if you are a regular listener, you know that temporarily I've been I've been living in West Bend. So I'm mindful. Okay, you got the drive, got to drive from West Bend to Milwaukee to do work. So, I mean, got up a little bit earlier. I, I will tell you, um, we got snow. Lesser amounts of snow up in Washington County. But, you know, I, I went, I was all over the area this morning. All right. I was in Ozaki County. I was in Mequon. I was in Whitefish Bay. I was in Milwaukee. And the truth of the matter is the freeways were fine. The side streets. Now, I don't know about some of the obscure side streets, but as a general rule, the the most of the main roads and I think even a lot of the neighborhood roads were fine. We got we got snow. But, I mean, it wasn't like you got a foot of snow. Worst case scenario in the southern part of our listing area, maybe you got five or six inches that was plowed easily. Um, to the northern part of the listing area, it, it wasn't even that much. People were out and about on the roadways. Lots of travel was going on. I've been listening to these reports of the school closings and just, just our news. We're talking to one woman who's a teacher. She says, well, I'm I'm glad they closed school because I get a snow day. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, all right. That that that's wonderful. You got a snow day. I was listening to another account. Somebody saying, "Well, you know, we've closed school, so now we're we're going to take the kids sledding." All right. Well, okay. That's what Saturdays and Sundays are for. Now, I don't know about Racine and Kenosha. All right, didn't get a chance to get down there. They got larger amounts of snow, so I don't know how crummy the roads are. But I have to admit, I was surprised last night. When I saw that MPS, before snow had even started falling, had decided that they were going to cancel school today. And I have heard from a number of parents throughout the area who are disappointed slash angry that their schools have closed on a day like today because it, it screws up a lot of people's work habits. Now you've got child care issues and all those type of things. Um, the weather right now, I don't think it's stopping anybody from going anywhere. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are we becoming weather weenies? Was it an overreaction to close school? And unfortunately, what happens is so many places, for whatever reason, take their cue from MPS. MPS announces, in my opinion, prematurely that it is going to close school. And then you have all these other area schools that end up closing. Homestead in Ozaki County, for goodness sakes, there's no reason that Homestead is closed. Glendale River Hills, I drove by the Nicolay High School on the freeway. Parking lot is completely and totally plowed out. The roads are clear. 
414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Text coming in already. Thank you, Jeff. This was a non-event. It's laughable. Well, I mean, I'm not saying it's a non-event. We, we got snow. We got the snow that was predicted. It came when it was supposed to. It has been cleaned up. We did a great job. And all the kids that couldn't be in school, my guess, it's like, hey, let's head out to Mayfair Mall. 414-799-1620. Should school have been closed? My answer, and again, I, I don't know about Racine and Kenosha. So I, I just haven't gotten down there, don't know whether they were able to plow the roads and what the road conditions are like. I will tell you, Milwaukee north and at least in the immediate suburbs west, there's no reason that New Berlin closed. There's no reason that Franklin closed. There's no reason that Sussex closed. No reason Nicolet closed. No reason Whitefish Bay closed. You could have gone to school today easily. 414-799-1620. We discuss when we come back. 1212, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, I apologize. Homestead is apparently open. First time I looked at closings, they had Homestead. Somebody said Homestead is open. Homestead is open. Glendale Nicolet is not. Whitefish Bay is not. And it's ridiculous. 414-799-1620. Bill on the north side. Bill, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, Two factors. One, uh, being an MPSer from back in the day, it was a snow day like today. We were uh, neighborhood schools. Mm-hmm. So my school was two and a half blocks away from home. We walked uh, in the snow backwards, uh, <laughs> and the snow drifts were up to our way, and we went to school. Yeah. The difference now is 60-plus percent of these kids are on buses. Mm-hmm. With, the, with the way people drive now, with the slippery way it was this morning, uh, transporting those kids, the time factor is thrown off. I think they closed primarily because of the bus situation. The other factor, you might not like it, is women. Women? From the largest CEO to the toughest female bus driver, women hate driving in snow. <laughs> okay, and okay, Bill, I just want to, Bill, I just want to be real clear here. When those emails come in, Bill, I just want, when I, when those emails come in, that's Bill on the north side saying that women are weather weenies. I, look, I, 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 I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, there were not major delays. You get bigger delays when there's a rainstorm or something like that. There were not huge delays. Buses were doing fine. They might be delayed a little bit, but and, and now it's perfectly fine. I mean, I, I'm looking at the, these roads. I'm looking at the freeway cameras. The, the roads are clear. Somebody just sent me a picture driving from Kenosha to Racine. The freeways are completely and totally clear. Now, I understand that there's some snow on the side streets. I, I get that and maybe school would have some schools might have had to have been delayed an hour but i mean seriously right now is there any reason why kids are not in school and the answer is no let's see it text menominee falls five inches of snow done by six thirty. Zero reason school should be closed what do you expect from the weenies at the menominee falls school district well i mean again um Let's see, uh, Vell in Waukesha. I live in Waukesha. I'm irritated. The first student bus is shut down when Waukesha School District is closed. My son attends a school in Brookfield. Um, UWM is closed. I mean, come on. There is no reason for UWM to be closed. All you've done is given all the students just an extra day to get an early start on bar time. And I, I'm not talking about being irresponsible. Look, if the forecast had been... 
All right, you get kids to school, and the forecast had been we're going to get a major snowstorm that's going to hit at 2.30 in the afternoon, and it's going to make it difficult or impossible to get the kids home. All right, I, I understand maybe you do something like that, but by the time they made the decision to close schools last night, there really hadn't been much snow, but they had even downgraded the, the duration of the snowstorm. Again, here's here's my question. You know, what are the people who didn't go to school today doing? Um, is this a situation where nobody can get out, everybody's stuck in their homes? No. This is a situation where, hey, everybody's looking for something to do because there's no reason that they can't go out. And with all due respect to the teacher we had on, I appreciate that she wants a, you know, she wants a, a snow day. Oh, this is great. I'm glad I don't have to work today. Well, all right. You know, most people in the real world, though, I mean, they, they do have to work. I mean, try calling your boss today and saying, gee, I don't think I'm going to be able to get to work today because we had a little bit of snow. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tim and Cudahy. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Without a doubt, kids should have went to school today. I have a daughter that goes to Oak Creek High School. I woke up this morning, snowballed my driveway. It took me 15 minutes. I got an 80-foot-long drive. I drove to work at 9 o'clock, and the roads are fine. I mean, you had to drive a little slower. It took me seven extra minutes to get to work. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, right. And this isn't this is wasn't even one of those like heavy, wet, heart attack type of snows. I mean, and, and that, this was exactly like the weather forecaster said. It's going to be of a short duration. You're going to get a bunch of it. It's going to be easy to move. And I mean, I'm just looking at the traffic cameras. People are driving around fine. The sun is out in some areas, for goodness sakes. Absolutely. The snow was very light, very easy to move in. The roads were a little bit slippery in spots, but it, it was very, very drivable this morning. Uh, no, thanks for calling. And again, it, and it's just, I, I was, I was watching with my mouth open last night, and I don't know when MPS made the decision to close schools. Eight o'clock, nine o'clock last night, certainly by the ten o'clock news, and, and we hadn't even gotten any snow yet. And then, of course, it's a spiral effect. But I, I was driving around, and this is what really struck me. Again, I am driving around all day. I mean, all morning, eight third. I left. I left home a lot earlier than I normally would have because I wasn't sure what I was going to get. And I found, I mean, again, you know, roads that were completely and totally passable all throughout the area. There was, if if you would have had to delay school for a half hour, maybe in some of the rural areas, that's fine. This wasn't even a problem. I mean, you want to talk about kids being exposed to danger. It would have, it's been much worse when you have the kids standing out at a bus stop and it's zero degrees. Pretty pleasant outside as far as temperature. Melissa in Brookfield. Melissa, you're WTMJ, hello. Hi, I'm thanks Alyssa. for taking my call. Sure. Hey, you know, I mean, I I graduated high school back in '98, and uh, I I just think it's it's <laughs> un unfathomable that you know with one two inches of snow. Not like you were saying that the roads are impassable. Right, even three or four. Okay, we we got a bit of snow, but we we here's a credit to public works. We do snow really well. They were ready to deal with the snow, and they had right. the roads cleared. I don't think there's any adult that wasn't able to get to work today because Correct. of the snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I, I just think it's a joke. Uh, um, 
Got it. No, thanks. No, thanks to God. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening, Melissa. Yeah. I, I mean, look, this is just one. And I, I'm not I'm not this old guy saying, I remember when we used to have school and you'd walk 12 miles uphill through three feet of snow every day. I, I mean, I get it. And I, I also think that there is a safety concern. But if I'm one of these parents who now has had my day, for, first of all, school should be open. Rule number one. Number two, I mean, again, I appreciate these teachers that are sitting there thinking, hey, this is great. I get a free vacation day. Well, okay, I'm sorry. The rest of us are at work. We were able to get here. And as far as the parents who, uh, again, you know, do use schools for child care, and I understand some people don't like it. Now you got to call your boss and say, hey, I can't come in today because, you know, um, the, the kids are off from school, even though, so now I've got to drive them around. I'm taking them to the mall. I'm taking them to the movies because we're trying to fill out, uh, we're going to try to kill some time when they should be in school. Let's talk to, let's see, um, Kyle in Wales. Kyle you're, Kyle, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. What do you think? Um, well, I'm 21, so I'm, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. freshly out of high school. And, you know, back in the day when we had a snow day, nobody ever would stay at home because they can't drive. Ever. Mm-hmm. Everyone's always out doing something. You know, it's, it's a free day off school, so why not go do something? Right. And, you know, I've been driving since 6 o'clock this morning in a two-wheel drive Suburban, and I've had zero issues on the road. Okay, so how long have you been out? Uh what, three years now? No, no, no. How long have you been out today? How, when did you oh, start going out? It's been 6 o'clock this morning. Yeah, yeah I, I've got somebody saying, I, I got this one email saying, oh, no, you don't understand it. At 6 a.m., it was just snow-covered and slippery and dangerous. No. No. <laughs> no, no. no most, of the, most of the major roadways had been plowed and, and uh, right. salted. Yeah. And I'm but, driving, driving on back roads for most of the day today. And, yeah, there is, you know, snow drifts coming over the road and stuff, but it's not anything you can't. Well, exactly. And thank, thanks for calling. And again, that's why I'm, I'm trying to focus. I, I don't know about some of the rural school districts, you know, where if you've got the blowing and drifting snow and things like that. I'm just talking about from what I have seen in in the urban area. Whitefish Bay School District closed. Give me a break. The roads were perfectly fine in Whitefish Bay. And if you have to delay school for an hour, all right, then, but they wouldn't need to do that. Glendale, Nicolet, give me a break. Menominee Falls, I mean, we're becoming weather weenies. I guess I drove past the Nicolet parking lot coming down to 43. The, 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 the parking lot, it's, it's empty, but it's completely and totally plowed. No problem with this at all. So for everybody out there who's Again, whose day has been thrown akimbo because of this. Sorry about it. But I understand the school officials will say, well, better safe than sorry. Well, all right, maybe we need to just use a little bit better judgment. And maybe for some of the school districts that take their cues from MPS, maybe you really have to rethink that whole thing. Sorry, there is no reason, in my opinion, that schools are closed today. Everybody who had to be to work got to work and got to work on time. You might have had to leave a little bit early, but this is not, this was not snowmageddon. This was a normal snow event that was handled extremely well by the people who do snow removal. It came when it was scheduled to come. Um, it was dealt with. And um, like I say, I'm looking at these cameras, at least these main roads. They're, they're, they're completely and totally clear now. 1225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Big story number two is coming up. Um, if you want to see... 
the illustration that we are talking about and that has created so much controversy, if you text me the word cartoon, C-A-R-T-O-O-N, to 414-799-1620, I will send you a link to the story. Keep in mind, though, be prepared, because some people say this cartoon should never have been published in the newspaper. It's too inflammatory. So be prepared. Don't text me the word cartoon if you are of the weak of heart. It's 1225. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Gruel, we are being, we collectively, those of us who live in the urban area, we're, we're being mocked by people from out of state for all these school closings. I have a text from a uh, guy who lives in Black River Falls. Jeff, about three weeks ago, during the cold snap, it was 25 below without the wind chill. My 15-year-old daughter went to school. <laughs> you know, it's just like 25 below. But I, apparently, that's it. Down here in southeastern Wisconsin, we are just, we're weather weenies. We're, we're not tough. And maybe the it's one of these deals where the administrators at the schools, hey, this is great. We get a free day off. So let's end up canceling <laughs> schools. Also hearing from all sorts of people out throughout the air going, it's beautiful outside. You know, we're, we're going out and doing all it, it is beautiful outside. It's great. Perfect. I mean, it's almost 20 degrees. Um, you've got the pretty snowfall and stuff. You know, go out and enjoy yourself. Bottom line is for everybody who wants to go sledding and stuff this afternoon, I think it's great. But for the kids, they should have been in school today. Hey, one final thought before we move on to the story. And if you want to see what I'm going to talk about next, text me the word cartoon, C-A-R-T-O-O-N, to 414-799-1620. Um, warning, though, this cartoon, this, it's an editorial cartoon. It is so controversial that there are people saying it should never have been published in newspapers. The paper, one of the papers that ran it is issuing apologies. So be warned. Be warned, if you are easily offended, this might offend you. All right, Tom Barrett. So I'm on TV last night, and, and it's, all, it's so funny. Barrett's got the same – he does the same thing that Flynn does from time to time. He affects anger. You know, it's just like if, if he's being questioned about something, he, he just kind of pretends to, to – and it is a pretense. He pretends to be angry as if that means we're supposed to believe him more. All right, over the last couple of days, the, the parking checkers have written over like 12,000 – what, 12,000 parking tickets for people who can't figure out what side of the street they're supposed to park on. Now, issuing a ticket – doesn't do a damn thing. I mean, all it does is make the person who gets the ticket have to pay 40 or $50. If you wanted to clear the streets so the plows that could go through, that could go through, you tow the cars. My point has always been, if this is really what you're going to do, you need to, tow, you need to clear the streets, then tow the cars. All right, that, that, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But this idea that, hey, we've got a little bit of snow, we've got people who can't figure out where they're going to park, let's issue these 40 or $50 tickets. I mean, it's, in my opinion, it is nothing but a revenue-generating thing. My idea would be either you tow them and get them off the streets so you can clear them, or, you know, if you really think that, or you give them warnings. And if they don't follow the warnings, then you then you tow the cars. But towing the cars is how you clear the streets, not giving cars parking ticket after parking ticket, unless you're trying to generate revenue. So Barrett's on TV last night, and I, it's funny, he just gets, again, he, he this pretense. It is not our goal to collect a lot of money in parking revenue with snowstorms. Our goal is to make sure our plows can get down the street. Okay, Really, Tom? All right, like I say, if that's your goal, then tow the cars. 
If that's the policy, tow the cars, come by, haul them off, and then clear off the streets. But issuing tickets without towing the cars is nothing but a revenue generator, and you can pretend to be angry about being questioned by that, but most people, I think, see through it. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, The Bucks are 7-1 and one under interim coach Joe Prunty. But how different are they as a group overall? Greg Matzik thinks tonight's game against the Heat is a good barometer. He'll take a deeper dive this evening, Sports Central 607, who's producing the show today and always. Okay, we're talking about snow days. Somebody just sent me a picture, kid riding a bicycle. <laughs> you know, okay, they're out. I mean, it's 20 degrees outside. The roads are clear. The sun is shining in certain areas of the community. But we have school closed for all the school employees out there. Enjoy your day off, courtesy of the taxpayers. All right, let, let, let's, let us just go through a couple things that are, are just truisms. If you work in the print media... If you are a writer or an editorial writer or a columnist for the for a newspaper, chances are overwhelming that you are a liberal. Not everybody is, but most of the people who work in the print media are to the left. Now, they would argue that that doesn't affect our coverage and things like that, and I would say that that's ridiculous, but that's kind of one of the givens. It's actually one of the reasons why, I mean, you, you've seen the success over the last couple decades of, of things like Fox News, because it presents an alternative view from the mainstream media. Now, you might say, well, it's just the flip side of it. Yeah, but I mean, Fox News was able to succeed because it offered an alternative view to the sort of groupthink that you get if you pick up your typical newspaper or you turn on the mainstream media. That's also, I think, been one of the things that's been responsible for the rise and the continued success of of conservative talk radio because people tune in here and you get a different look on on the issues. You get a host who just challenges the orthodoxy saying, we've really closed schools on today, where you know, like the mainstream thinking is, well, of course we closed schools. I mean, we had a little bit of snow. All right, so if you accept the fact that, that most – most editorial writers, most journalists are liberal. I think you could take it one step further. You know editorial cartoons, and, and they used to, there was a time when newspapers regularly employed cartoonists, like the Journal Sentinel had, had a couple people. Well, th- those days have, have gone the way of the dodo bird. You know, it, when, when they started cutting back and letting people go, um, editorial cartoonists, you know, the people that write the cartoons for the editorial page and all. Well, heck, there's not too many editorial pages now, much less cartoonists. The cartoonists just just went. I, I think, again, there are some exceptions. But if you think back on, you know, most of the editorial cartoons, most of the editorial cartoonists that are out there, like most of the editorial writers, are liberals. And so if you think back on the different editorial cartoons that you would have seen, almost all of them, would have been skewering Scott Walker or, or Donald Trump or whatever. That's kind of the group think that's there. And that's fine. That, that's fine. They have the right to their opinion. And you have the right to not buy the paper or read the cartoon or read the cartoon and get outraged by it. All right. There are a couple exceptions. One of, well, I'd say he's a relatively prominent editorial cartoonist. His name is Sean Delonis. For the better part of, well, like 20-some years, he was an editorial cartoonist for the New York Post, which 
is a conservative newspaper, no question about it. It stands as uh, kind of a contrast to the New York Times, although it's nowhere near as prestigious. So he, he was an editorial cartoonist and a conservative cartoonist um, for the New York Post for 20-some years. He left the Post, was fired by the Post, uh, got caught up in you know downsizing or whatever in 2013. But he still syndicates his cartoons. So he still produces cartoons, and they are carried across the country in various newspapers. On Wednesday, one of his cartoons appeared, and in particular, it appeared in the Albuquerque newspaper. It's the Albuquerque Journal, which is New Mexico's leading newspaper. Um, the cartoon here, it, it, is, it, is an, it is an editorial comment on immigration. President Trump has been screaming about the effects of illegal immigration, and he's been tying this in, of course, with his concerns that you have, for example, gang members and things of the like who are, you know, coming into this country and terrorizing citizens. All right. Now, you may think that that is overblown. You might think that that is President Trump at his worst, playing on, you know, fears and trying to put, you know, people, pit people against each other. But, you know, some people might disagree. So here is the editorial cartoon um, that appeared. It it features two, a a couple. Um, They make a point. It is a white couple, man and a woman. He's in a suit. She's in a dress. They are in an alley with their hands up. Um, they're being held up by three people wearing masks, um, hoodies. One of the persons has a jacket emblazoned with the phrase MS-13, which is the name of one of, of the gangs, one of the cartels from, I think, El Salvador, that has been, you know, kind of terrorizing People all throughout, you know, North and South America, and that's one of the gangs that gets cited. So you've got three gang members. One guy is standing there with a ski mask and a suicide vest of smoking explosives. So this this is an over the top, as cartoons are, and they're holding up this couple in the alley. So the couple both have their hands up, and the caption says, "The guy is saying, now, honey, I believe they prefer to be called dreamers." or future Democrats. Hmm. So this is a comment on the the plan that would be, hey, if we extend a path to citizenship for people who are here as dreamers, they're they're going to there's going to be an element of them that are going to be criminals um, and they're going to vote Democratic. Okay, that that's that's the point of this. Is it over the top? Yeah, it's over the top, no question about it, as editorial cartoons frequently are. If you think back on all the editorial cartoons you typically read, most of them are about as subtle as a sledgehammer. And this is not, it is not a subtle one at all. Well, no sooner do they publish this than people absolutely go nuts about this. Um, You have people screaming, Oh, my God, how can you do this? This is incredibly, you know, racist. The editor of the Albuquerque Journal says that, um, gee, this cartoon appeared to us to be poking at President Trump's rhetoric by portraying a quaking Republican couple who were painting dreamers with a broad, totally false brush. The cartoonist says, 
well, no, that's that's not what I was <laughs> doing. That's not the way I, I wrote it. He said, I've learned that MS-13 is pur- purposely sending minors over here to commit crimes. I'm pretty sure that the cartels are using minors for a lot of their drug dealing. No, I was trying to make a statement that if we expand our immigration thing, this is what's going to happen. He said, no, that's, it, it is what it is. And the folks in Albuquerque are then saying, oh, my gosh, we didn't realize that this was what he really meant. We're just sorry that people are so offended by this. And you've got immigrants that are out there that have nothing to do with gangs. And this is painting with a broad brush. And this is so terrible. And and we apologize and we apologize. And we're so sorry. All right. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this outrage, political correctness run amok? I mean, the whole purpose... As somebody who grew up reading newspapers and editorial cartoons, editorial cartoons are oftentimes, by their nature, their satire, they're way, 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 way over the top. You have politicians that are featured, and you, you know, the Journal Sentinel, when they used to do editorial cartoons about Scott Walker, they'd portray him with big ears and things like that. They're way, way, way over the top. They are not subtle. This is not subtle. This is presenting, again, is... If, is it a fair recitation? Are all immigrants members of MS-13? Well, of course, of course not. But is this so outrageous that we need to apologize for it, that we need to say, oh, we're never going to show something like this again? And if the shoe were on the other foot, if this were one of these outrageous attacks that you see on President Trump or Republicans all the time, would there be equal outrage? Or have we gotten to the point now where there are certain subjects that are just apparently taboo, even for editorial cartoonists? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1246. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It used to be the role of newspapers was to inform and entertain and also provoke. You know, on the editorial pages in particularly, in particular, all right, we're going to offer challenging ideas. Well, nowadays in 2018, forget that. Political correctness drives everything. Like I say, there was this editorial cartoon that was written by a guy who used to be a cartoonist for the New York Post. Now he's a syndicated cartoonist. He publishes this one. It was put in the Albuquerque newspaper on Wednesday, and it shows uh, a couple being held up in an alley by three hoodlums. They've got one of them has like MS-13 on the, the back of their hoodie, which is, of course, the notorious gang. And President Trump alludes to that gang all the time when he talks about you know immigration regulations and things like that. And the couple have their head, their hands up. And the commentary is that the guy is saying, now, honey, I prefer they be called dreamers um, or future Democrats. Oh, oh, this is terrible. All right. Here's here's what the editor of the Albuquerque newspaper says. Um, political cartoons are often satire and poke at more than one point of view. I do not presume to know what cartoonist Sean Delonis was trying to convey in his cartoon that was published Wednesday in Albuquerque's journal. But on one level, it appeared to us to be poking at Donald Trump's rhetoric by portraying a quaking Republican couple who were painting dreamers with a broad, totally false brush. So in other words, when we thought that was his interpretation, it was okay. 
Obviously, that was not the message received by many readers. Instead, instead, many saw an extremely objectionable cartoon and thought that was the position of the journal. It is not. In hindsight, instead of generating debate, the cartoon only inflamed emotions. Well, wait a second. Isn't that what, for example, when you see all the lefty cartoons, aren't they supposed to inflame emotions? I digress. Her explanation continues. This was not our intent, and for that, the journal apologizes. I repeat that the Albuquerque Journal does not condone racism or bigotry in any form. I also want to reiterate that we do not agree with many of the opinions expressed on the editorial pages, which are intended to encourage debate. Also, the editorial board decides what to publish on these pages, and that is separate from the newsroom and its reporters. So, in other words, don't, don't, don't blame the newspaper. You know, you can blame the particular editor. Um, have a text here. Jeff, you know you can't publish or speak out loud any conservative viewpoints. That would be heinous. Th- this is what journalism has come to in 2018, where, again, I don't care if you agree with this cartoon or, or not. And is the cartoon over the top? Yeah, it, it's over the top. But the idea is because this presents a, a point of view that the president might offer or that some Republicans might believe or that there's even a kernel of truth to if that is in fact the case. If you believe that, we can't even put this out there because people will end up being offended by it. And again, this to me is the whole example of political correctness run amok. I don't endorse the position that the cartoon takes. Um, I think it's over the top. But does it? Is it so horrible that it has to generate this reaction? No, it just challenges the thinking of the audience, and people end up getting offended. And then, of course, you have these newspapers that can't stand up to the left. So it's, oh, we're going to apologize for this, that, or the other thing. And that's the state of modern journalism in 2018. Like I say, you don't have to agree with the cartoon to say, have we really gotten to the point that you can't even publish something like this nowadays? And that appears to be the standard that we have. It's 1253. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, did conservative Republicans sell us out on the budget deal? Stick around. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. As long as I'm on my high horse. Yesterday... We're actually really early this morning. The House and Senate ultimately agreed on a budget, really an interim budget, that will avoid the the stopgap spending measures and keep the government operating for two years. That is a good thing. That is a good thing. Going two weeks at a time on stopgap spending measures is no way to run a railroad, and it's good that we now have some consistency. What came out of Washington yesterday has to be a head-scratcher for a lot of us who have been preaching the need for fiscal restraint over the last you know, several years. Matter of fact, back in 2011, as a way to kind of curb in Barack Obama's unrestrained spending, when Republicans took control of the House and Senate, what they did is they passed a budget stopgap bill, which would prevent major deficit spending. All right. In this deal that they cut yesterday, those those measures are gone. That this whole stopgap spending thing is gone. The budget that was approved um, is 400. It's a 400 billion dollar 
spending plan. It allows $300 billion more for the military and other programs over um, the next two years. It spends money, in some cases, even more than the Pentagon has asked for. It pretty much opens up the spending on all sorts of programs, including, um, for example, you know, disaster relief programs. But what's really, I mean, got people's attention is it looks like that this is going to be a real budget buster when it comes to the deficit. That means it is going to be dramatically increasing this deficit that many Republicans have been running against. This whole idea of deficit spending, you know, spending more money than you have. You can't do that for very long in your real life. You know, in real life, if you make X amount of dollars and you consistently spend X amount of dollars plus a hundred thousand. Pretty soon, you're going to blow through your um, savings. You're going to exhaust your credit cards, and then you're going to be looking at bankruptcy. Now, for the government, for the longest time, lots of us have been deficit hawks. We've been saying you need a balanced budget. You cannot continue to spend more than you take in. This budget does that, and it does it dramatically. Um, $300 billion in additional spending for military and domestic programs over the next two years. That comes on top of last year's $1.5 trillion tax cut package. And the White House plans to unveil a $1.5 trillion infrastructure plan that is going to take billions, hundreds of billions of dollars in, in spending. The long-term implication of this is that we're on track to owe more to our creditors than the economy is going to produce over a given year. The um, estimates are that the U.S. will run $2 trillion annual budget deficits within the next year and will have a debt-to-gross domestic product ratio of 105%. It hasn't been at that level since World War II. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, let me be real clear here. I am glad we are not shutting down the government. That that is a good thing. I think the fact that you have some degree of certainty is tremendous. I am glad Congress got something done. But at the same time, you got to be consistent. Now, for years and years, I have been part of the Republican wing that talks about deficits and the need to control spending and the idea that we have to run government like we run our own lives, which means a little bit of debt is okay. I mean, if people didn't take out mortgages on their houses, that you know, people wouldn't be able to buy houses. So I'm, I'm not saying that deficit spending or borrowing is always bad. It's It's not. But at the same time, when you borrow and borrow and borrow to the point that you are paying more in interest than you can afford or that your debt exceeds completely the you know the amount of money that's coming in your net worth whatever what, what is that that's that's the time for chapter 11 bankruptcy and in this deal that republicans cut with democrats 76 democratic members of the house voted for this you have i mean it is a spending free for all you know, all this talk about fiscal restraints and these caps that we put in to prevent deficits from ballooning back in 2011, those are now all gone. 
and I'm glad we got something done, and I'm glad there's military spending, and I think it's appropriate that you have some form of you know disaster relief for some of these places that have been hit the hardest. That's all good, but there's no corresponding cuts. And again, we're back to where we were seven years ago. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Ross and Krivitz. Ross, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Mr. Wagner. Uh, this budget is incredibly irresponsible. I mean, we are setting up a catastrophic future budget or a financial collapse here waiting for us. You know, the good times keep going until they don't. But when this thing collapses, it's going to be ugly. Well, right. And, and the idea is, well, we're going to have economic growth and our revenues are going to exceed all these different projections. That's a pretty risky type of strategy. You know, what happened to all the deficit hawks out there who were talking about if we're going to increase spending for this, we've got to cut spending somewhere else? What happened to that, Ross? I mean, it's, it's, you know, this is something we've been talking about for decades, and now it appears to be just forgotten about in a matter of a couple hours yesterday. Well, handing out goodies is always popular, even if the de- either, either the Democrats or Republicans have found that out. Right. And, and now it's just it's just so handy to do that that you know the the good stuff comes right away and the bad stuff comes later. We're yeah. just setting ourselves up for a huge disaster here in the future. You, Ross, you, I, I I am concerned that you are exactly right, and I I understand the numbers that we are talking about are, are so large that people's eyes just gloss over on this. But but this is the deal. It's going to raise the spending caps by about $300 billion, B as in billion, over the next two years. The limit on military spending would be increased by $80 billion this year, $85 billion next year. The limit on non-defense spending would increase by $63 billion this year, $68 billion next year. Now, am I in favor of spending more money on the military? Yeah, I think that that's a, a good thing. But this idea that we're going to borrow to come up with the money, you know, that's that's where it's scary. And everybody agrees that these these this spending is going to cause the federal budget deficit deficit to grow larger. That's on top of the tax overhaul that was approved in December. And like I say, President Trump is getting ready to roll out some massive spending program for infrastructure, which will only make this thing worse. So do do I have problems with some of the individual stuff here? Um, No. I mean, do I want to see more? Do I want to see more money spent on military? Yeah. But the idea is, can you continue to borrow and borrow and borrow and make that uh, make that work? Lisa in Wind Lake. Lisa, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. So I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat here and just kind of, this is kind of the last straw for me. What do they have to lose in an economic collapse? What do who? What do the politicians what, have to what lose? What do the politicians have to lose? If they've been working their jobs for the last 20 years making 175000 a year, well, okay, the last five years, 175000 a year, plus whatever else they make with their investments because they know where to invest, nod, nod, wink, wink. Again, my tinfoil hat's on. Hmm. So I'm, I'm really wondering, after seeing this pass, is that their plan this entire time? Hmm. Or did they just realize that, they're in it so deep they can't get out. Well, I think that might – see, I think it's really the latter, Lisa. I, I think it's – you've got dysfunction. 
You've got, you know, the Democrats that want to spend, 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 spend. And you have Republicans who now just figure it's easier to spend, spend, spend and kick the whole problem down the curb. And so if this means 10 years from now, it all goes to hell. Well, that's 10 years from now. That's a lifetime in politics. So let's not worry about it. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know about you and me, Lisa, but I mean, I'm, I'm planning my, fa- my finances for where I'm going to be 10 years from now. And I'm trying not to do anything too irresponsible now. That it's going to screw that up. This is precisely what I think they did last night. Screw it up. We need to work to fix this because we can't rely on them to fix it themselves. Yeah. Now, thank, thanks for calling. We call- need to figure out a way to do it. Yeah. No, right. Well, I, I mean, and if you will, if you listen to the president, he'll say, well, what's going to happen is the tax cuts um, are going to inspire spending. And so more people are going to be spending money, these different pro. And so what's going to happen is we're going to generate more and more revenue as a result of that. So ultimately, we're going to be able to pay for this. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, color color me a little bit skeptical on this. And again, I'm, I'm glad we've got, we're not shutting down the government, okay? And if you ask me the merits of, hey, this program or that individual program or whatever, I'll tell you, yeah, I mean, I, I understand. I'm glad we've got some money for disaster relief and all. I'm just saying that money has to come from somewhere. And, and this is what this is what Republicans have been running on for the last 20, 25 years, right, trying to figure out ways to balance the budget. What we did yesterday was we moved three steps away from that. We kind of said, okay, now deficits don't matter. Well, wait, I've been being, I've been hearing for the last 20-some years that deficits do matter. Let's talk to Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Good. What do you think? I think, well, first of all, I think a lot of it has to do with if there were term limits on you know, Senate and, and and House, they wouldn't be so preoccupied with just looking to the next day. I mean, I mean, the whole you know right. recycle system starts right right off the bat. Right. If they had more like Ron Johnsons in there and, and things like that. That you know what? I came in. I want to run it like a business. Blah blah blah. That kind of thing. But it, it just seems to be that nobody, like you kind of said, they don't look within. If it was a private company, mm-hmm. the first thing you do is you look inside your own cupboards and see what you can, you know, discard and, and, you know, the the wasteful spending. I bet you five bucks you could, you know, they, they could find a ton of stuff. And then the other part of it. Or even, let me, I'll let you finish, but or, or even, like in a private company, maybe you have to make some of these tough choices. Maybe it's a situation where you have some really good employees. They're, they're good people, but they're working in a non-productive division of the company or something like that. So you have to say, I'm sorry, you know, your division is losing money. we got to cut you loose. And, and it's right. a tough decision. They're not bad people. They're, it's worthwhile, but you've got to make some of those tough decisions in Washington, we're not making any of those tough decisions. It's here. Let's no. just keep going. Yeah. No, I, they should follow some of your, uh, you know, life. Life, you know, <laughs> life. Life sucks. Get a helmet. Life you know is tough. Mean, get a helmet. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's kind of like there's a there's a lot of different things that they could do, and nobody seems to will to do it because all they all they're concentrating on is the next election cycle. Right. right. And every time you do something, that's going to irritate some group. Well, you know, I'm, it's always going right. to piss somebody off. I mean, no matter what. Yep. So, I mean, get over that. Right, I mean, exactly. But we don't want to get over that. Thanks, Cole. We don't want to irritate people. I mean, again, just 
just, just to kind of make the point. I, I mean, I remember a couple years ago, we, they wanted to close a couple non-performing post offices. All right, that's and I just, the, the post office has different sort of funding, but this, this is just hear me out to make the the larger point. You know, we wanted to close a couple non-performing post offices. If if you in the real world, if my producer grew ran three gas stations, and they were five miles apart, and the one in the middle wasn't making money, what they would do is he would close the one in the middle, and you'd have the other two. Now, that meant that people who went to the one in the middle had to drive a little bit farther if they wanted to go to Gru's gas station. They'd have to go to the one on the east side or the one on the west side, but you'd close the non-performing one. A couple of years ago, we want to close non-performing post offices, and everybody's going, oh, this is terrible. We can't do this. It's going to make some people have to go a little bit further to get their stamps or whatever. Well, all right, that's the way government is operating. You can have programs that might be worthwhile, but, you know, big picture, they're not as important as other sorts of programs, so you have to make these tough choices. And I guess I'm I'm just disappointed, not that they reached a budget deal, but that they reached a budget deal that is going to essentially drive the deficit through the roof. I thought that's what we have been fighting for the last, you know, decade. And as somebody who, back in 2011, spent a lot of time arguing why the stopgap deficit spending limits were such a good thing. It just disappeared yesterday. Let's talk to Tony in Sussex. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, good afternoon. Hi, Tony. I'm well, thank you, although I don't understand what happened last night, really. (laughs) Uh, No, I I think it's a a stunningly stupid turn of events. Uh, And I think I've given up on the whole bunch of them. Yeah. I I I don't think people realize... We're doing this at a time of increasing interest rates also. Mm-hmm. Every 1% increase in interest rates for the federal government is going to include a $200 billion additional deficit every year for each percentage point. Right. If interest rates go up 2% in the next couple of years, that's $400 billion or more in interest every year. Right. And what, what we did was we're all on a train going 65 miles an hour towards a financial cliff. And what we did was turn it up to eight. <laughs> yeah. no, th- thanks for call, right? I mean, yeah, it is. I, and I understand what, what some Republicans are thinking is, okay, these initiatives, we're going to we're going to grow revenue so fast that we're not going to have this problem. Well, I'm just a little bit skeptical of this. And again, I, I don't know where I'm supposed to come down as a conservative commentator now. Am I supposed to say deficit's bad, deficit's good? I've always argued, that, like I say, I mean, a little bit of borrowing is okay. We wouldn't own houses if you couldn't do a little bit of borrowing, but this isn't a little bit of borrowing. All right, when we come back, I think it is about the worst idea that I have heard in a long time, and I understand the significance of what I am saying, but it appears to be closer to becoming a reality. I'll tell you all about it. Stick around. It's 122. This is Jeff Wagner. 125, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Um, sitting a season-high seven games above the 500 level. Giannis and the Bucks are in South Beach for Friday night matchup with the Heat. Ted Davis begins Buckshot's coverage live from Miami at 640 here on WTMJ. Tonight's a big game. Bucks are 7-1. and one. They've won seven out of the last eight games. Miami, very good team. Uh, Dwayne Wade, Marquette guy, just rejoining them. Um, and then after they play the Miami Heat, they play Orlando. Orlando's one of the worst teams in the NBA. So, I mean, seriously, if they could beat Miami tonight, you'd have to think that they're going to be a favorite going into the game this weekend against Orlando. Huh. Huh. Could be doing well. All right. I think a couple weeks ago, 
I, I talked about this as a concept that might be ready to happen. It now appears to be a, a reality. As an aside, let me just kind of back into this. Gru, do you know what community, what area in the country, in the country, is experiencing the largest area of migration? By that, I mean people leaving an exodus as opposed to people coming in. What what part of the country, what, would you be able to guess what city you think is having the greatest loss of people? Would you like to take a guess? You look at me blankly. You don't want to take any guess at all. All right. You don't want to play because if you're wrong, you figure you'll be mocked. All right. I get it. San Francisco Bay. San Francisco. The San Francisco Bay Area. I'm looking at the story off, off of San Francisco newspaper. Um, the Bay Area experiences a mass exodus, exodus of residents. The number of people packing up and moving out of San Francisco Bay Area just hit the highest level in more than a decade. Um they're talking about and in the interview all these people we've lived here for 40 years and, and now we are you know we are leaving um operators of a san jose u-haul business say that one of their biggest problems is getting their rental moving vans back because so many are on a one-way ticket out of town people are just heading out in droves all right now there's many reasons for this but I think one of it is the politics of San Francisco, and people are just just kind of tired of what happens when you turn over a city to a bunch of liberal whack jobs. Here is the story. And again, I, I mentioned this as a possibility uh, a couple weeks ago. It is now closer to becoming a reality. The San Francisco Department of Public Health has unanimously endorsed the task force's recommendation to open what could become the nation's first legal safe injection site. This would be a facility or facilities that would provide a safe space where people could consume previously obtained drugs like heroin and fentanyl under the supervision of staff trained to respond in the event of an overdose or other medical emergency. So we would essentially, San Francisco is talking about setting up shooting galleries where people who had procured heroin or cocaine and heroin or fentanyl or whatever, having bought it, you could go into this facility and in the presence of, again, medical personnel or whatever, you could shoot up the idea being, well, if something happens, there'll be somebody there to help you if you overdose. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The argument in favor of this is, well, they're going to do it anyways. So given that people are going to be shooting heroin anyways, shouldn't they have a safe environment to do it? I say nuts to that. 414-799-1620. We'll discuss. It's 129. 137. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Seriously, this sounds like the kind of thing that, that Tom Barrett or Chris Abley would embrace. They're getting ready to do this in San Francisco. Create the first, they call it safe injection sites. Here's the way it would work. Let us say that you are a druggie. You know, you're a junkie. You're a heroin addict. 
you want to shoot heroin or phenytoin or you got cocaine that you want to mix into heroin so you have the speedballs, the thing that's killed John Belushi. All right, what you could do, and this is the way it would work, you could go to a taxpayer, at least partially underwritten, safe injection site. The city promises you that you're not going to be charged, don't have to worry with criminal activity. You go into the site together with a bunch of your junkie buddies. Now, the plan right now is that they're not going to sell the dope in the site. So you have to buy the dope off-site. So you can tell that you know what's going to happen is you're going to have all the drug deals and stuff hanging out nearby. You buy your dope. Don't know what the purity is or anything like that. You go into the safe injection site. You go into the room. There's a nurse or a nurse's aide or somebody at a counter in the middle of the room. This is the way they describe it. You go up to the nurse and you say, hey, man, I'm here to shoot up. Can I have a needle? The nurse gives you a needle. You then, you know, pull out, you know, your rubber band or your rubber cord. You tie off your arm. You take your dope. You insert it. You know, you, you package it up. And then you take your needle and you inject yourself with whatever poison you want to do. And the nurse sits there and watches you do it. And in the event that you overdose, the nurse then, I guess, calls 911 or they have Narcan on supply or whatever they do, and they, they just administer to you. But they sit and they watch you get high. And then, presumably, I don't know if you stay there or if you want to go out and wander the streets. Okay, you get to do that. They, the argument in favor of this is that, well, what's going to happen is these junkies are doing this anyways. So... Um, one of the big problems you have is that people are overdosing because you don't know what kind of poison they're buying and shooting into themselves. So if they're doing it in a controlled environment, well, you know, then at least there's somebody there that can provide them relief, you know, can provide, again, the administer antidotes or whatever. And at the same time, we'll also we'll also have counselors there to try to discourage them, you know, if they want help. Hey, man, you know, could I have my needle? I'm getting ready to shoot up. Well, um, sure, here's your needle. But if you want to get clean, here, we, we've got a, there's some pamphlets in the corner. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, in my opinion, would, it, I mean, first of all, if I was the U.S. attorney, if I was, the, if I was, if I was Jeff Sessions, I don't care what San Francisco does. I would have DEA agents. I would have DEA agents staking out this place and arresting people right and left for going in. Secondly, as a matter of public policy, this is something that enabling people. We're not talking about legalizing marijuana or medical marijuana. We are talking about essentially sanctioning the use of dangerous, dangerous drugs. I believe this is enabling drug users. Who is going to staff this? I mean, in all seriousness, now this is the logical extension of, uh, again, the needle exchanges. I mean, this is the thing. Well, needle exchanges, we know people are going to do it, so um, why don't we give them clean needles to allow them to inject themselves and we can stop some of the diseases that are transferred? This is just that, that next kind of step. I mean, I guess my question would be, if we're going to have safe injection sites, why not go all the way? I mean, why not this nurse that's going to be at the counter handing out the needles, why don't we also have her selling the dope in the first place? I mean, then you can say, well, we're going to make sure that you know we're going to qualify 
the, the heroin that you're going to buy, we know that this hasn't been cut with this or that or the other thing, or we control the purities. Hey, Mr. Junkie, you know, what kind of purity do you want? Do you want 10%? Do you want 12%? Do you want 20%? I mean, I, I guess if we're going to do this, why the heck not go all the way? 414-799-1620. Bill in Burlington writes, Jeff, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard of. So what happens if they don't respond quick enough and the person dies anyways? Will the family be able to file a lawsuit? Um, yes. Let's see. Another text. I'm sure the ultra-liberal-led San Francisco PD will not want their officers anywhere near these city-funded drug dens. Yeah, as part of the enabling legislation, they would uh, these, these would be free spaces. That's what they plan to do, um, free spaces. Um, let's see. Um, how are the people going to get to work? Well, yeah, that's an interesting thing. So who is responsible legally if they have a bad trip? Could they sue the facility for providing the needle? I don't know. I mean, you could ask, I guess, the junkie to sign a waiver, but, but how good... How good would that be? 414-799-1620. Andy in Brookfield. Andy, good afternoon. Hey there. What do you think? Well, you know, at first first blush, it sounds absolutely stupid and insane. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, I think about it and I think, well, do you view drug addiction as a physical sickness or as a moral failing? And, um, you know, this kind of stuff happens everywhere and it's going to happen. And all the collateral damage that happens to society, the violence when they're doing it, you know, where they're not a safe place, and the sickness that spreads, until these people can be cured, maybe it makes sense to reduce the collateral damage to the rest of society. Well, well let me ask you this, though. Are, are you inna- by doing something like this, are you enabling the, the addiction? Are, are you making it easier for people to engage in this, this habit that we all agree is destructive? Well, the thing about addiction is that whether it's easy or hard, it's going to happen. And the harder it is, mm-hmm. the more hurdles they'll go over it. And that's where the collateral damage to society is. Do you but think it, it makes it more or less likely that people will do this? Um, the idea, hey, um, it's, it's not... It's not. It's illegal, but they're going to look the other way. So here, I'm a little bit worried about needles, but boy, people tell me it's a great high. I can go and I can get high, and I don't have to worry about any of these consequences. Do you worry that this might encourage more people to do it? No, I don't think so. I don't think it encourages more people to do it. Um, I think that. I think that. Again, you can contain the damage a little easier um, until you can fix the. Get at, get at the root of this. I mean, these people are sick. Right. Now, I'm not saying that it's not their fault, but, you know. But, but I mean, I mean, but I guess what, what's the, what's the logical outcome of this? I mean, somebody who's, you know, somebody who's using heroin, would you agree with me? The logical outcome is they're going to end up dead, right? That's right. That's right. Absolutely. So as a society, do we want to be, be essentially making it easier for them to kill themselves? We want to reduce the damage to everyone else in a way, and those who can survive it and get out of it are going to have to do it either way. And maybe they get the resources there, the ones, the few that can evolve past it. Yeah, I guess, I, I mean, thanks. I, where, where I, first of all, I, I don't think it's our role in, in society to encourage people to kill themselves in this particular fashion. Um, I, I guess, secondly, where I do disagree with you on is I, I think this does – this essentially says this is okay, and we're going to make it easier for you to do this. So I do think it encourages drug use by doing this. But I guess, again, my, my question would be, why not then go all the way? I mean, why 
if we're going to now say, okay, this is our basic premise, let, let's let's present prevent overdoses by just just providing them. We'll, we'll give you the heroin. Here, here's the heroin. Go inject it. Now you don't have to worry about getting you know too pure stuff. I, I'm sorry. I just think this is a dramatically dangerous idea. And I mean, San Francisco can do what it wants, I guess. But again, if I'm the U.S. attorney or I'm the federal DEA agents or I'm the California narcotics police, San Francisco can say whatever they want, but I'm arresting everybody that's heading into this place or stumbling out of this place, and I'm probably arresting the nurses and everyone else who are there facilitating this crime. 414, we're going to move on, but I'm just telling you, this is what is going on in California. When we come back, something closer to home, huge controversy between Jesu Catholic Church, which is the big church downtown Milwaukee, and Marquette University. And it's another one of these examples of, is Marquette straying very, very far from their roots? Stick around. 146, Jeff Wagner. 149, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Journal Sentinel has a, online has a story, Madison investor Eric Hovday, um looking to hire staff as he mulls GOP primary for the U.S. Senate. Uh, Tammy Baldwin is up for re-election in November of this year. She is viewed as, I think, vulnerable. Now, who knows what the electoral wins are going to look like in November, but, you know, President Trump carried this state in 2000, in 2016. You know, you've got Governor Walker, who I think will run strong. I understand some people think, though, that this is going to be a wave election. I, I don't know. I think it's way too soon to tell. Right now, you have two, I think, very good Republican candidates who are running for the GOP nomination. You have Kevin Nicholson, who's kind of a, a newcomer, but um, got a compelling backstory and, I think, clear conservative credentials, um, even though he was a Democrat when he was a kid. But clear conservative credentials. You've got Leah Vukmir, state senator from Brookfield, who is well known to a bunch of to, to people in the Republican community. But this isn't necessarily going to be an insider type of election. Eric Hovday, of course, is a Madison business person. He's a developer and a banker. He ran in the 2012 primary. Remember, it was a four way primary. Um, when Tammy Baldwin was first elected, Tommy Thompson ended up winning that race, and Tommy went on to lose the general election to Tammy Baldwin. But but Hovday um, came in second in the primary. It was very very close, and he was he did a he did a good job. Um, Eric Hovday would be a strong contender and a welcome, in my opinion, addition. That's saying nothing about Nicholson and Vukmir. I I want to see. And I'm, my position in this primary has been all along, I want to see the person emerge from the primary who has the best chance of beating Tammy Baldwin. Anyhow, the story is that Eric Hovday is um, looking to, to kind of build a staff, interviewing candidates for top jobs in a U.S. Senate campaign. It's a little bit late to get into the race, but um, Hovday spent about $5 million of his own money last time. So people are saying that he could, he could self-finance it's I mean, a lot of times what you have to do is you have to, you know, line up backers and donors. If if you don't have to worry about that, you can get in a little bit later. Plus, like I say, Eric Hovde ran six years ago, so I'm, I think he probably still has the remnants of an organization and he had supporters and he ran a very credible job. So that would be it would be an interesting addition to the U.S. Senate race were he to get into it. All right. Jesu Catholic Church is. It's just an absolutely beautiful church. It's on Wisconsin Avenue, and it's in the heart of Marquette University, uh, downtown Milwaukee. 
Jezu is not a part of of Marquette. I mean, it's it is its own entity, part of the the archdiocese, um, not part of Marquette. So it's not like it's a Marquette chapel. Um, here's the controversy: um, Marquette wants to build a new athletic training facility, and they had originally cut this deal with Aurora. And they were going to, you know, build it at a particular location. It was supposed to originally be built um, on land between North Sixth Street and North Tenth Street along West Michigan. So it was originally to be built to the east of where, like, the campus starts. That deal fell through. So now what they're doing is they're looking at building this facility, essentially in the parking lot, where people who go to Jezu to use Jezu park. And I think the concern that the people at Jezu have is that if you do this, you know, there, there's not going to be anywhere for the people who come to use the church to park. And if they can't find places to park, they're not going to come to the, the church. Um, the people at Jezu argue that, that moving this facility and, and taking away this parking for the church to build this facility would violate a services agreement between Marquette and the church, which says that Marquette would always provide close, convenient, safe and secure parking for Jesu parishioners and visitors, and that neither party would ever engage in or make any decision on plans that could impact either Jesu or Marquette without bringing the other party to the decision-making process. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. A lot of hard feelings over this, at least this plan. A lot of people at Jesu feel, I, I think the word that I'm going to use is, is betrayed over the fact that Marquette is considering doing this. I'm looking at... Um, you know, one one email that's uh, sent to Marquette. I've been a member of Jesu Parish for over 25 years and find the actions of Marquette University, uh, the president and the board of trustees to be unconscionable. MU and its trustees have decided that the vitality of Jesu is not important. Um, and they have created this problem completely ignoring the parish. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know what? The folks at Jezu have a very good point. And to me, this is just another indicator of how Marquette is moving away from its roots, that essentially this church, which has been on the campus forever, well, so, you know, we want the athletic training facility, and if that makes it more difficult or questions the church's survival, what do we care? 414-799-1620. It's 155. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Have a text. If the church needs the parking lot that bad, then let them buy the parking lot. I think the church would be more than willing to buy the parking lot. But Marquette University, I guess, feels that their new athletic training facility is more important than the survival of the church, which has been a partner of theirs for, well, probably since that they have been in that location. And I guess it's, again, this is just, it, I, I think it, it's just part of this larger problem that has gone on with Marquette, where it's just decided to move further and further away from its roots as a Jesuit institution. And and I understand that there's some people, Michael Lovell is the president, there's some people who just 
um, are enamored with him. I don't happen to be one of them. And you've seen this with what's the fight they picked with uh, the former political science professor John McAdams, or now you know saying, well, we really don't care about Jesu. It's one thing after another, which makes you wonder, you know, how did Marquette lose its way in such a fashion? All right, when we come back. Well, in the 2 o'clock hour of the Friday program, we've got Pop Culture Corner. Before that, Valentine's Day discussion. We're going to lighten it up a little bit. A Valentine's Day discussion, the Brewers, and a story that I just I can't let the week go by without at least telling you about. Former dominatrix loses her fight to keep her job as a cop. Now, don't you want to know what that's all about? Former dominatrix loses her fight to keep her job as a cop. Stick around. 159, Jeff Wagner. It's 209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It really is no way to run a railroad. The the city of Milwaukee, it's just if there's two ways to do things, they're always going to pick the worst option. It's just amazing that how you can be so consistently wrong. And Ed Flynn, who I have locked horns with from time to time, butted heads with, he does make a an interesting point. Ed Flynn is retiring February, what, 16th, next week. He's retiring. So there's ultimately he's got to be replaced. And the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission is going to do presumably a nationwide search to bring in somebody who's going to be the permanent police chief. Okay, What typically happens in any organization that's not even a well-run organization, but typically what happens is when you're looking for an, an interim spot, somebody that's just going to fill, fill this time between you know when the incumbent – leaves and when the new person comes in if you want to avoid disruption if you want to avoid problems what you typically do is just you find the number two person you know in, in the department and say okay here you 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 run it for two weeks or a month or two months or however long it's going to take that that's that's the way you would normally do it or maybe if you don't like the number two person you find the number three person and you say okay we're, th- this is this is your gig all right that's not how the city of Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission decided to do this. Instead of just appointing, and the logical thing would have been to appointed Flynn's number two guy, James Harpool, or, or if they didn't like him, they could have appointed somebody else. But you just, again, you just want this continuity, somebody to get over the weeks or the couple months before you hire the new gig. That, that's not what the Fire and Police Commission did. What they decided to do is to take applicants for the interim spot, not not – not for the permanent spot, but just the intro. So what we want to do is we want to have people apply to run the department for a couple weeks or a month or two. Well, it is playing out exactly like many people predicted it would, which is as a disaster. Because what's happened is nobody – It is see, the last thing the police department needs is any more uncertainty. So what's happened is you have – you have groups in the department that support different candidates because there's one school of thinking that, hey, 
you know, whoever is appointed the interim chief may get the gig as the permanent chief. So you're trying to back a winner. And there's lots of jockeying among the command staff to try to pick that that winner. So what happened is there were three finalists for the interim spot. One's an inspector, a guy named Michael Brunson. One's a captain, Alfonso Morales. And the third was Jim Harpool, well-known. He was Flynn's number two guy. So this is now this public thing. And what's happened is, and Ed Flynn was pointing this out, you now have, they, they went public. These are the three finalists. And you have all sorts of people, you know, who are running to support one candidate or the other because, hey, you know, if, if we support, you know, so-and-so, if we support Alfonso and he gets the gig permanently, well, okay, it's going to be good for us. And so what you have is you have these different divisions in the police department. Um, James Harpool, who would have been the logical choice, he was Flynn's number two guy, um, well-respected in the department. Flynn, you know, he's he backed out of this. He, his story was, hey, I interviewed with the Fire and Police Commission, and they made it very clear that I wasn't going to be tabbed for this role. So, okay, fine, they don't want me, I'll, I'll just retire. So you, you've lost the guy who is the most logical choice. And now, again, this is all for somebody who's going to run the department maybe for just a month or two. So now you have all these people in the department taking sides as to which one of the two that they're going to support. And I'm talking to some of my police officer friends, and they're just shaking their heads, saying this is created at a time where you really need somebody who's going to unify this, the decision to openly – you know, interview interim police chief candidates has created this entire division in the department. And again, it was easily, easily predictable. I'm not saying they should have automatically given it to Harpool, but presumably you just pick somebody on Flynn's command staff and you say, okay, you're our guy or our gal. You understand that this is going to be a gig that lasts just a couple months. I mean, I'll give you the example. This is what's been going on in the county sheriff's office. You have um, David Clark had to think for a minute how quickly we forget. David Clark steps down. And so what they do is they just designate Clark's number two, Schmidt. He, he's, he's the acting sheriff. Now, maybe he's going to apply for the full-time job, but he's the acting sheriff. They didn't go and say, all right, here's what we're going to do. We want to have 15 people apply, you know, who are part of the command staff. It's no, okay, Schmidt's the number two guy. Now he's the number one guy. It's an interim post. If he wants, he can apply for the, the appointment until, you know, the permanent appointment and until the election. But, you know, we're we're just going to designate the number two person. That is what typically happens in situations. It's what well-run organizations do. And it's just another example of the, the dysfunction that grips the city of Milwaukee, that it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's appointing an interim police chief or, you know, dealing with crime issues or one thing after another, they just flat can't get it right. Earlier this week, I admit I was making fun of the streetcar, Cincinnati. The Cincinnati streetcar hasn't been running for a while because, um, first of all, the, the five streetcars they have don't run in the cold. You know, it got down like below 10 degrees and, and they all stopped running. And then it's been down for several days because of like snow and ice. Hmm. Gee, who would have expected that? Streetcars that can't run in the cold, streetcars that can't run when there's snow and ice. You know, today, at least in the morning, 
My guess is you would have had city buses that were getting around just fine. My guess is the Milwaukee streetcar, Tom's Trolley Folly, would not have been running. Time will tell. All right, when we come back, the Brewers, Valentine's Day, and then later Pop Culture Corner. Stick around. It's 2.15. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, the road to you know where is paved with good intentions. Now, Gru, this is a test for you. Okay, so the, the Brewers, I'm a huge Brewers fan, and I I respect visiting teams that travel well. St. Louis Cardinals, for example, and the St. Louis Cardinals come to Milwaukee. There's always a huge contingent of Cardinal fans, and I, I think I find St. Louis fans to be really good baseball fans, and they travel really, really well. Then there are Cubs fans. And if you are a regular listener of this program, and I apologize to you if you happen to be a Cubs fan, and you may, as an individual Cubs fan, be the most wonderful person in the world. You might be. Collectively, I think Cubs fans, collectively now, and I'm not talking about you as an individual, but collectively you as a group, I think Cubs fans are deplorable. I find them to be, as a group, rude, drunk, boorish, you name it. And I also acknowledge that over the course of the last couple years, as the Cubs have become better and better, Cubs fans travel in, in just droves. When, because it's tough to get tickets to Wrigley Field, and again, as long as I'm going to, like, Step on sacred cows. I think I'm one of the guys that thinks Wrigley Field is a dump. I understand it's historic, but it's a historic dump. That doesn't change the fact that it's a dump. But it, it's tough to get tickets to Wrigley Field. So what happens is you have Cub fans who end up getting tickets to Miller Park because it's easier to do that, and they end up traveling. And if you're here for some of these Cubs games, um, what you have is these drunk, rude, boorish fans that are here in droves, sometimes outnumbering the Brewers fans. And again, partly it's an indictment of the Brewers fans, but the Brewers have recognized that they they, they would like to have more Brewers fans in the stands during the, the Cubs games. Now, the, the Brewers, to their credit, stick it to the people from Chicago because the Chicago games, generally you have to pay more for it, but they figure the Cubs fans will pay. Anyhow, what they announced that they were doing is starting, um, it started this morning, and it continues through February 15th. If you are a Wisconsin resident, you can go to the website and you can purchase up to eight tickets to any of the 10 Brewers Homes games against the Cubs. You have to have a valid Wisconsin address to qualify. So the idea is here we want to give Brewers fans a, a first shot at tickets to home games against the Cubs. That is a very, very good idea. I appreciate what they are doing. What is the most obvious problem to that with that group? What is the problem with their strategy? Go to the website starting today through the 15th. If you're a Wisconsin resident, you can buy tickets for the Cubs games. The obvious problem, well, it doesn't stop people from reselling 
those tickets. And, and that's been what the biggest problem, I think, has, has been. It's not just the availability, but if you look at where the Cubs fans typically end up sitting, they're in the spots where season ticket holders are. And what that's always told me is you have a vibrant secondary market and you have like the Brewers fans that will buy the tickets and then they'll turn around and they'll sell them for two or three times face value or whatever to Cubs fans on the secondary market. So I don't know exactly what the answer to this is, but I, I think clearly it would be for Brewers fans to buy the tickets and then resist the urge to make a few bucks and act like a Brewers fan and show up and go to the game and root the team home. Because um, I think it's going to be a really, really good team this year, and I think they're going to be competing for the playoffs. And wouldn't it be nice to go to one of those 10 home games at Miller Park against the Cubs and actually Brewers fans outnumbering the, the boorish, drunken Cubs fans? Wouldn't that be a nice thing? I think so. 223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Pop Culture Corner coming up in a couple minutes. Oh, my goodness gracious. Journal Sentinel reporting. Okay, the, there's the, the Milwaukee Health Department, Milwaukee, City of Milwaukee Health Department is, of course, a complete and total disaster. You had the former um, top health official who was fired. The whole controversy about how, you know, apparently there were people who were supposed to get tested for lead in the water and they didn't do that and gag orders so people couldn't tell about all the problems that were going on. And then the mayor comes up and he wants one of his cronies to be the health commissioner and the common council says no. So the city picks this Patricia McManus, who's been around for a while. Um, They picked her to be the the health commissioner. Okay, fine. She. She goes on an urban radio station, uh, apparently earlier this week. Now, this is the health commissioner, and this is the way the Journal Sentinel is reporting it. They they ask her the Jenny McCarthy question. Um, you know, Jenny McCarthy, of course, being the person, the actress who you know went on TV a while back and talked about how you know her son has autism and she believes it, it's linked to the uh, measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine. Now, I understand that there's people who take this as a matter of faith, but medical science is very, very clear on this, that there is no link at all in medical science between this vaccine and between autism. You might be able to make an argument about, you know, how many vaccines should you get so close to each other, but but there's no link. And this is, you know, this this false dichotomy has been one of the things that has been out there, again, which has led to, I think, a lot of people making these decisions not to get, you know, injections. So McManus goes on this this urban radio show and, and they ask her about this. She's asked about whether the measles, mumps and rubella, the MMR vaccine could cause autism. And she says. I don't think the answer is yet there. I mean, there's still people who believe it, and so I don't know. I think the science is still out. Oh, my God. I think that's a decision that these families are going to have to make on their own at this point. And, of course, everybody who knows anything about this, well, they quote in the paper, um, you know, somebody from the University of Wisconsin Medical School says, unfortunately, she couldn't be more wrong. The science is clear. It's been reviewed over and over again, not just by the Center for Disease Control, but by the National Institute for Health and numerous other studies. The information is clear that the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine does not cause autism. 
And yet the person that apparently we are selecting to be the Milwaukee Health Commissioner is unclear about that. Hmm. Wow. We know how to pick them in Milwaukee. It's 228. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 235. Jeff Wagner. WTMJ. Um, where are our hometown athletes competing in South Korea? And what's the Wisconsin-based medal count? Keep track of our Olympic Wisconsinites in South Korea by heading to the Winter Games section of WTMJ.com. Hey, while you're there, you can also check out our mobile app section. You can download the podcast of this show. I know a number of people do that, and uh, we appreciate it quite a bit. Okay. Uh, it is that time of the week where we put aside some of the heavy lifting. We stop talking about what's going on in the city of Milwaukee Health Department. We stop talking about crime and the budget and things like that. Try to go into, have a little bit of fun going into the good week. And I call this segment Pop Culture Corner. We talk about, I don't know, things in the popular culture. Sometimes we take walk downs memory, walks down memory lane. Sometimes we talk about movies, books, or TV, or cars or sports or restaurants or things of the like generally what happens is this is triggered by something that's happened in the week that makes me thinking about things Um, we also live stream this on facebook live so you can go to uh, facebook.com slash 620 wtmj and you can uh we've got dan dan the it man here so we broadcast this live and you can i'm i'm wearing my packers super bowl hoodie from 2010-2011, so you can kind of check that out as well. All right. Uh, yesterday, two days ago, we talked about the story involving Boston Store. Um, we moved here when I was a kid, I mean, and and since I moved here, I, I have to say that departments, Boston Store has been probably the predominant shopping department store in all the years I've lived here, going back to the 60s. Now, I know we've had, you know, other stores that have come and gone and all. But, I mean, when you think about, you know, anchor stores at the big shopping malls and things like that, it, it, it's Boston Store. Boston Store announced uh, the other day that they were going into bankruptcy. They wanted to go into Chapter 11 bankruptcy, which gives them an opportunity, if they're allowed to do it, to sell off some assets, try to find a buyer, delay, stall, avoid certain bills in an effort to come out as a, as a new company. As we talked about yesterday, a number of the creditors are saying, look, we, we don't want to allow that. We just want to liquidate it because they're so far in debt. There's no way that they're going to be able to come out. Um, people's Their shopping habits have changed. It's just not going to work. What is a bankruptcy judge is going to do? I, I don't know. But it, it doesn't look good for Boston Store and their parent company, Bonton. Hope I'm wrong. Don't want to see people lose their jobs. But if, and I say if, if Boston Store were to close, that would be, I I think, for many of us who grew up here and spent most, if not all, of our lives here, that would be kind of one of these unthinkable things. This was a department store that was just such a part of the fabric of this this community, this area. But at the same time, you could say the same thing about Sears, and Sears stores are, are closing you know, right and left. I think there's real question about whether Sears is going to be a viable thing. The truth is that stuff comes and stuff goes, and just because you always thought something was going to be here doesn't mean that it, it is, and, and we've seen that with one thing after another. So I thought we'd 
take a walk down memory lane on a snowy Friday afternoon in February, I call the Pop Culture Corner segment Gone But Not Forgotten. Something that you really miss. A, a, a business, it could be a restaurant, it could be a bar, it could be a grocery store, it could be a movie theater, it could be a shopping center, I don't know, but gone but not forgotten. One of these things that you thought was going to be there forever and now appears like it, it's gone. And all of a sudden, it just kind of happened. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, bar, restaurant, grocery store, department store, five and ten. So remember, they used to have the Drews, the, like the, the kind of like five and ten cent stores. Remember Drews Variety Store? I used to grow up going to Drews. Maybe it's record stores, what, whatever. Gone but not forgotten, 414-799-1620. You can also participate on our uh, talk and text line, 414-799-1620. And I will also check our live stream on Facebook Live as well, facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. Gone but not forbo- forgotten. Um, we're back to discuss. Uh, jam phone lines already. If you're on the line, hold on. If you didn't get through the first time, keep trying. 240, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, gone but not forgotten. Also live streaming on Facebook Live. Robert says, Radio Doctors on Wells Street. Yeah, that was a, that was the big record store. I can remember going there as a kid, you know, wander around Saturday morning, spending time at Radio Doctors. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Joe in Waukesha. Joe, hello. Hey, I got a double one for you here. Okay. Capitol Court. Fun town. <laughs> right, the, the amusement park. We used to, I spent many, many uh, summer afternoons when I was a kid there. Um, oh, yeah. When I was a kid, I could hear it from my bedroom as a kid. I would hear everybody having fun every night, but of course I couldn't go every day. <laughs> my parents wouldn't let me. Got <laughs> it. Uh, they were tough on you. know, I love Fun Town. That was, Fun Town was, well, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I would extend that whole thing to, to Capitol Court. I mean, it used to be, you know, the, the big shopping center. You had the movie theater there. You had the gimbals. Oh, I remember, I mean, we used, that was one of the places, I grew up in Glendale, but my parents would go over to Capitol Court and shop all the time. And, of course, you had the Kooky Cookie House. I mean, that was one of the big things there. Jim and Franklin. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Jim. Uh, Jeff. The Boulevard Inn on Sherman Boulevard. Mm-hmm. My uh, my late wife's oldest sister got married there. I always uh, her her wedding reception was legendary. Um, you know, yeah. in in the basement of that bu- Boulevard Inn. I used to love the food there. Oh, it was great. Great food. Great uh, service. Great atmosphere. I you know I mean after they they closed that location and they moved down uh, close to the lake in the place where uh, Bacchus is now. I never yeah. thought it was the same. I always liked it a lot better when it was out on the west side. It wasn't the same. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, thanks for another Boulevard Inn. Great place. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Cindy in Jackson. Cindy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Okay, gone but not forgotten. Uh, Starlight Drive-In Movie Theater, <laughs> all the drive-in movie theaters. Oh, I okay. Where? Which one was the Starlight? Where was that? Um, that was Menominee Falls. Oh, okay. Right, 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 right. That's, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I that was that was the one because I I always get a couple of them confused. That was the one that we went to a lot. I I miss drive-ins. I do. Yes, they were fun. Yeah. I, now, thanks for calling. Now, I, I understand there's one in uh, Jefferson County, and there's a couple still that are around. And um, you know, movie theaters in general are struggling, and you know, drive-ins. Um, you don't find them very much, but it was a great part, a great part of growing up. Let's talk to Ray in Lake Mills. Ray, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. 
The Mark's Big Boy Chain. <laughs> I I love the restaurant. I, I I loved I loved the Mark's Big Boy. I I still I mean I I miss those Big Boy hamburgers. There's a couple places around that are owned by Marcus that you can find nowadays that still have them. I love those Big Boy hamburgers. Yes, they were fantastic. And I know you only asked for one, but another great place, the English Room down oh, at the Fister. Down, downstairs it's at the Fister. Yeah. When they closed that, the, the supper club at the Fister, now it's not the same as the English Room. Yeah, the English Room was, I mean, thanks for calling. That was, that was fine dining. It was in the, the basement of the uh, basement of the Fister. I've told this story before, the Mark's Big Boy. I've always wanted one of those big boy statues, you know, the, the, like the eight-foot things that were out in front of the restaurants and all. And I, there, Once there was one on eBay, and I almost bought it, except um, my wife said, what are you going to do with this? And I said, well, we could put it in the backyard, and we could put lights on it. And then I got that look that all you women learn from your mothers, the one that says, I married a moron. So passed up the chance to get the big boy. 414-799-1620. Jim in East Troy. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Gone but not forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> John Ernst Cafe. You know, I um, the, the big three German restaurants, Mater's, Roche's, and, and John Ernst. And now, you know, Mater's is the only one left. I actually, um, John Ernst was my favorite of those three, to tell you the truth. I actually worked there as a youth. Uh, I, I went there with my parents and... I think I was 16, my first real job, I worked for them, uh-huh. and the first real place that I spent uh, that check money was at Woolworths. <laughs> <laughs> you, re- you are right, another one of those five and ten cent stores. Yeah, I, I, I always like John Ernst. Now, thank, thanks for calling. I mean, I like Carl Roche as well. I, I think, um, you know, that, that could certainly be a lead. I mean, Carl Roche's, which is such... You know, such an institution, and then it went through a couple ownerships, and now it's closed. And it's that would have been one that you would have just thought would have been here forever. Let's talk to Jane in Elm Grove. Jane, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. I miss Marsha Fields. Mm. That would, did you prefer that to like like um, well Boston Store and things like that? Yes, yes absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That was it. I mean. Right. I mean, I can remember. No, thanks. I mean, you had, I mean, of course, you know, you, you go back to, I mean, Northridge is, the, of course, gone, <laughs> not forgotten. But, I mean, at Northridge's heyday, you had a Boston store, you had a Sears, you had a Marshall Fields, you had a Penny's, all those different things. On our Facebook page, we are live streaming this on Facebook Live. Go to facebook.com backslash 620WTMJ. Dandelion Park. Yeah, Dandelion Park on the uh, uh, south side, sort of, kind of. Um, remember that? Let's see, um, Chicken Shack. Huh, I haven't thought of Chicken Shack in absolute ages. Let's see, let's talk to um, Chris in Madison. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Chris. Um, hey, my, uh, it's just a memory altogether, but uh, in Butler, there used to be a pharmacy called James Pharmacy that had a little lunch counter. Oh. And my mom... She uh, was in a. She was worked in a beauty shop, and she would cut my hair. And my pay was she would buy me a cheeseburger mm-hmm. at the <laughs> lunch counter. At the lunch counter, and just listening to everybody laugh and all the people coming and going, it was just amazing. And then a big 
corporate thing came in and just made it a pharmacy, and a year later it was closed. I miss those lunch <laughs> but, counters. Oh, Ruby Isle had one, too. Yeah. That was just so cool. Yeah, there was a drugstore. I mean, I grew up in Glendale. There was a drugstore on Green Bay Road and like kind of Silver Spring. It was in a shop, and they had the same thing. They, they had the lunch counter. I, I, it's funny that you should mention that, James, because um, – my my grandfather, my my dad's father, died when I was ten years old, and it's funny. I have these vivid memories, and, and it's just it's as I'm sitting here, it's it's like yesterday. My my grandfather, there he they lived in Baltimore, Maryland, and he would take me to Reed's Drugstore, which was kind of like a local chain at the time, and they had lunch counters. And, you know, he would take me to the, the lunch counter, and we'd sit there, and, and he'd have a cup of coffee, and he'd, he'd buy me an ice cream soda. And I can just, I just, I remember it, man, just talking about it. I remember it was like it was yesterday. Now, the sidelight of this was my grandfather, while he'd have his cup of coffee, he'd, he'd have a cigarette. I wasn't allowed to tell my grandmother that Pop, my grandfather, smoked a cigarette. That was the deal. It was kind of, and I, I kind of remember thinking, well, you know, I, I can smell it. She's probably going to smell it, too. But that was the deal. But I have such fond memories of, of the lunch counter. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Jimmy on the south side. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. First time caller, long time listener. Thank Love you, the sir. show. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I miss uh, good time jo- uh, Jolly Vanooks. Used to be on National Avenue. Yes. A little diner. Yes, yes. I remember aunt, that as well. My aunt used to actually work there. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. No, that, that was, a, was a good right. It was one of those, play, again, quintessential Milwaukee. I'm going to try to get to as many calls as I can. Bob in Oak Creek. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. You miss? I miss Giovanni's. Oh, right. On the east side. Oh, yeah. Great Italian restaurant. Um, oh, the lasagna was awesome. <laughs> I used We used to go there all the time. Up in, even when I was working in the U.S. Attorney's Office, I mean, that was a great place to stop off. We'd go there before shows and stuff. And um, did I see they're trying to reopen that somewhere else? For some reason, that's in the back of my mind, but I could be wrong. Uh, not not quite sure. I think he passed away, right. Mr. Adonis. Yes, um, he definitely did. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. For some reason, I I thought I read that they that the people associated with that were trying to open that up again. Uh, let's see, Dave in Bayview. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I miss John. Well, I'm not wouldn't go there now anymore, I suppose. But Johnson's Park with the go kart track on North 76 would have the big dinosaur miniature golf and the slide. <sighs> And in recent years, I think part of the slide was still there, and the dinosaur was still there, and it had batting cages, too. The batting cage, you know, Dave, it is funny you called, because, true story, about a week ago, I was driving, I, I had to go north, I drove Good Hope Road, took a right on 76, and went past Johnson's, and where it was, and had exactly those same thoughts. I mean, now it's like some, like, there's there's like some title loan thing or something there but i, I had these I, I remembered when they had the batting cages you had the go-kart track you had the giant slide you had the mini golf thing um it just it kind of brought back all sorts of memories that's right yeah no Great thanks memories. no out, out, outstanding of course kitty corner from that was manning's restaurant that people used to love karen in pewaukee karen you're in wtmj ah. hello Hi, I'm Miss Goldman's on mitchell street it was a department store a small one mm-hmm 
Oh, I, I, Karen, I remember it well. My, my late wife, that was her first job. She worked, um, in Goldman said, I think she answered the phone (laughs) at the switchboard or something like that. I mean, they had a good, uh, little uh, thing for eating lunch and everything else and stuff like that. I love that story. Loved it. And it had everything in it. Goldman's was one of those places where if you couldn't find it anywhere else, if you went to Goldman's, they had it. (laughs) Yes, and they had the skinniest Santa Claus you ever wanted to see. All the time. Okay, Okay, thanks. You betcha. I I don't think, I don't remember the Santa Claus there, but I remember that. Uh, Dave in Racine. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Greetings. I miss a hardware store here in Racine called Thrifty Mac. It was had everything. I mean, you know, old-fashioned. You didn't have to buy It wasn't the prepackaged stuff. If you had something that was 30 years old and it had broke, it says, uh, <laughs> you says they, they probably had the part to fix it. You know, it was that kind of place, you know. I, you know, that's I, – I will t- – thanks for the call, Dave. I, that's why – I, I love hardware stores, and I particularly love the local hardware stores where you walk in, and especially since me, I, I am, I'm challenged in that regard. I'll walk in to the places, and I don't care if I have to spend twice as much, but you know, I'll have the thing that's in three pieces, and I'll kind of like look and go, help me out on this, and they'll tell me, it's aisle 10, here, we'll walk over, this is how you put this thing together, this is the best way to do it. Um, I remember Don in West Allis. Don, you're on WTMJ. Howdy, sir. Hi. Um, all those boy blues that oh. were around. Yeah. You know, those boy blue bars and then the, their malts and shakes. Yeah. Oh, they were to die for. Yeah, they were kind of kind of like, you know, Dutchland Dairy, that kind of stuff. You know, right, but the, the same sort of thing. No, I, great ones. I'm, I'm sorry, we're kind of up against the clock. Uh, Paul's Hamburgers, Johnson Cookie Factory, absolutely. Boaters out in Mequon on the river. My mom loved that. The Kenosha Outdoor Theater, Muskego Beach Amusement Park. That was Dandelion Park, right? Um, let's see. Heinemann's Bakery. We used to go there all the time for breakfast. The old food lane in Whitefish Bay. I used to buy beer there when I was 18. Um, just outstanding. All right, this has been fun. Thanks for walking down memory lane with me. I think it's a perfect way to spend a... Well, it was a snowy morning. Now it's a pretty decent afternoon. John McCure, Melissa Barkley, Greg Matzik, they're next with Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around. It's 255.